Hello and welcome or welcome back. I am James Skiffins. And I am Malcolm Childs, and we are Just Making Conversation. Where we discuss the ins and outs of the model-making hobby that brings us joy and pain in equal measures. From sprue to glue and everything in between, we are going to be Just Making Conversation. Remember, there are other podcasts that you could listen to. Plastic Model Mojo. And the Scale Model Podcast. Plastic Posse Podcast. On the bench. The Model Geeks. The Sprue Cutters Union. Small subjects. Built Sideways. Model by Carpoden. And the Micro Machines Podcast. Just head to modelpodcasts.com for all the links. If you've enjoyed our podcast, consider leaving a review or five stars as it promotes this podcast to more people to enjoy. Showing your support to us is as easy as making coffee. So why not go over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash JMC Podcast and do just that because your support will help go towards making the podcast and its content better. Is that true, though? Does it? Well, it certainly makes me feel fluffy, so it must do. <laughs> okay. Your support will help go towards James feeling fluffy. You want to fluff James, then? Fluff away. You know to go. <laughs> In this episode, we will be just making conversation with Peter Buxton from Transatlantis Games about the wonders of paint manufacturing and the new range of paints to thin coats. So how do you bring to life a dream of making something new to the market? And are you mad to try? Can your dream drive you through the hurdles that stop the average person? And just how do you go about making your own paint range from scratch? What colours do you choose? Is a Kickstarter easy to do? We got any comments this week? Um, well, the, we've run out of coffee beans. Uh, that much I know. Oh, shocking. Never mind. <laughs> it's probably on a boat somewhere that's been diverted. So oh, okay. there's a delay. Oh, I see. Mm. I need fluffing. <laughs> something so totally different. Oh, yes. Yes, sorry. <laughs> did we have any, any comments on Facebook, Malcolm? Yeah, we did. Uh, MD Scale Models said, uh, fantastic hearing the story of Carl's build. Amazing stuff. This was Carl Robert Shaw. The Dam Busters diorama that was made. That's the one. With the amazing splash effect and all that. And uh, boy, did he give us some information on just how he put that together over a very long period of time. Well done, Carl. Thank you very much for joining us for that. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for being with us. Nobody to interview this week, so we're just going to grab a random person off the street, and it's luckily it has to be Peter Buxton from Transatlantis Games. Mm. That's lucky. Mm. <laughs> so we should uh, undo his gag, the the ball gag that he has. Mm-hmm. Um, we had that before we picked him up, though. So. <laughs> so, yeah, well, welcome Peter to our little side of podcasts. Uh, I, I would say thank you for having me, but I haven't got a choice. So, uh, yes, yeah, thank no, you. That's true. You haven't. <laughs> we haven't had you yet. <laughs> yeah, Peter, tell us why you're on this uh, podcast with us. Uh, well, um, I would have, some would say, the misfortune of uh, being part of a company called Transatlantis Games. We've had the pleasure of working with the great, the one and only, our Lord and Saviour, Duncan Rhodes. You may have heard of him. Um, Ooh, to make, to make a... Uh, paint range which is something i've never done before um but i've used paint so obviously i was the right person for the job yeah so i'm on here to talk about how you make a paint how a paint range comes about and all those wonderful good stuff about the uh, the stuff we put on our little models yeah absolutely and is that where it all comes from Are you, what's your what's your hobby background Oh, well, um again i will show my age and say hero quest um as everyone asks in the great 
1989, when Milton Bradley released that wonderful, wonderful thing that arrived under many, many little boys and girls, um, mm-hmm. Christmas trees, and gave us the wonderful world that is miniature painting. Um, however, I must have been missed. My dad was a miniature painter before that, so I used to admire all this little... Um, well, not little, they were 75 mil Napoleonics and fancy figures that used to adorn the shelves at home and okay. uh, worry about all this funny paint they used in a squeezy bottle that looked like toothpaste. Those Ooh, enamel paints or oil paints? Uh, they would have been oil paints. Um, mm. Then we moved to enamel paints, little tubs of Humbrol. And uh, you remember applying those in not so many thin coats in that nice big mm. thick coat that used to go on and used to stay everywhere. Then I moved on to uh, Tamiya kits, which are mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic. Love them to bits. Uh, and their wonderful range that still tastes the same as it did in uh, in the 90s. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've, I've got to say, little little tip. You know, when you open that pot of Tamiya Spell, you're like, ah, yeah, that's the uh, the wonders of the 90s. But yeah, I was taken to Games Day as a kid. Um, and I remember playing with the ubiquitous Warhammer 40k, playing with Orcs, falling in love with it. I've been addicted since. So you did start in the scale model world then? Pretty much, yeah. Again, because of my dad, um, mm. he always needs to make sure that I had an Airfix kit or a Tamiya kit at some point yeah. in my life. We had a little desk in the uh, in the old family home in the conservatory. Yeah. Sat there freezing your your bits off in the winter at Christmas. <laughs> a yeah, little paraffin heater. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, yeah, making little Tamiya kits, uh, mostly World War Two. Um, brother was into his um, race cars and bits, pops. So we did, did uh, the Formula One kits and stuff like that. But I was like, no tanks. We must have tanks and guns. Tanks and guns. We should talk about tanks and guns later on. Yeah. Oh, I could mm. talk a lot about tank and guns. Yeah. I have made many mm. mistakes with uh, Flames of War this week. So. <laughs> Is that something that you ever return to? Do you do you still hanker for building one thirty fifth Tamiya kits? I still do. I go to the uh, model shop in the village and I look at them and I look at them and I stare at them intently. And then I remember I've got a day job to go back to, um, <laughs> which involves sticking little toy soldiers together yeah. and bits like that. So yeah, one day, one day, I've got my eye on a, a very, very nice Panzer IV that they've got there with little diecast um, bits and stuff like that. I keep on looking at it, going, "Oh yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm close. I'm close to pulling the trigger." Oh, yeah. do it, do it, yeah. absolutely. You know, if somebody's got there that you've got the itch for, then uh, mm. you know, fill your fill your boots with your hobby. James and I were talking about just before we found you in the in the street and bonded you into the van. We were talking about the 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 difficulties and and the stresses of working in the hobby industry mm. and the things that you, know, you find difficult and actually finding time for your hobby. So, is your hobby still your work, or the other way around, or do you have any other hobbies out of um not really to be honest i'm a sad little individual um i will sit and paint and talk to people in the hobby all day and then i'll say right i'm going to clear that away and i'm going to stick together more little plastic tanks (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah i um i find it relaxing i find it um very you know mindful zen whatever you want to call it it's just great and it's nice to do it when you're outside of a deadline and you're outside of a going oh i wonder what color i need to develop next or this paint would look good on this um also again being a painter it's absolutely wonderful to use a product you've been involved in (laughs) and Mm. put on your put on a model and go do i help make this there's sort of a little joy from there uh, i don't i don't think watching the mandalorian counts as rb it's research isn't it yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. Looking at the color and everything else, you know, you're well, looking for designs. Um, it's funny you should mention that. I did spend the whole of season two looking at the reflections on um, Din's armor, going, "How would I paint that? How would I?" <laughs> like, no, enjoy the story. Enjoy the story. It's like, oh, what color would I use to paint Grogu? Yeah, I thought I thought oh, we got an inside inside scoop then of the next range of things that were coming. Oh, possibly, possibly. <laughs> we 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 like our Star Wars, does Duncan and I? So yeah, we're quite a fan. Yeah. The army painted to a Star Wars set a while ago, or somebody did for the Legion game, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I think they did. Yeah. Talking about obviously your the paint range, you did a kickstart. What what would be your recommendations for anyone thinking of travelling down the kickstart route? Um. Uh, of course, the official line would be go for it. It's an absolute wonderful ride. Um, and it's not at all a lot of work and a lot of prep 
and a lot of nervousness and a lot of doubt. And uh, yeah, if you want to go through on a large roller coaster with a little target that rolls around no matter when you look at it and <laughs> a lot of panic on, you know, both for success and, and whatever, I would say go for a Kickstarter. Um, yeah. If you've got an idea and you're prepared to see it through, then yeah, go for it. That would be my biggest yeah. part of advice. So yeah. preparation obviously would be your first key to, to a Kickstarter. Um, a fully fleshed out idea, I'm guessing, yes. and stamina. I mean, they're the three key points from that, that answer. Yeah, I think. definitely. Uh, definitely just kind of being prepared for absolutely everything. You know, if you want to get your project management skills tested to the utter, utter most kind of peak of project managementness, um, if that's a word. Yeah, plan plan for every eventuality, and then that thing happened that I didn't want to talk about. You know, land war in Europe. Yeah, did we literally just say that we weren't going to talk about? That? Well, that that's one yeah. of the reasons why. Yeah, I didn't. Want and to you brought it up. It up. <laughs> yeah. So, what what inspired you and motivated you to have this little acorn of an idea fleshed out and then pummeled to to its full length degree in every emotion possible? What was the inspiration? So uh, Bob Watts, he's our CEO founder. He's uh, been in the industry for a long time, longer than before HeroQuest, should we say. Oh, wow. He's worked mm-hmm. for uh, Wizards of the Coast. He's worked for Games Workshop, worked for Privateer mm-hmm. Press. Uh, he started Target Games for Warzone and uh, Sabretooth Games as well. He's 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 um, been involved yeah. in a lot of different industries. Wow. And uh, this was his idea. He wanted to do a paint range. And he wanted to do the the best paint range for a painter. And uh, luckily, I'd been talking to Duncan sort of pre-COVID up to run up to COVID about some ideas with previous companies. Yeah, we thought, well, what's the best way to launch a paint range? Well, you ask a painter. Uh, So we approached him and said, uh, would you like to do a paint range with your name on it? And Duncan came back and Roger Yates, his business partner and producer, said, only if we can have complete creative control. At which point we went, well, go on then. If you want to put your name on it, it's going to have to be the best. You're going to yeah. want your name on it. Yeah. You're going to have to be have control of it. So yeah, yeah. that's where that came from. And then 12 months of development later, we had a paint range. Just 12 months? Just 12 months, yes. Yeah. That's not so long. How? Okay, so, so imagine, well, it wasn't hard to imagine. Imagine I know nothing. <laughs> And I want to start a paint range to, to rival yours, yeah? What would I... Where would you start? Are you looking for basic pigments or...? Obviously, you need to have help because we're not chemists. We're not anywhere near as what we need to do. So we've had we've been working with a, um, a uh-huh. team of chemists that are very skilled in what they do with, with all sorts of different chemicals and stuff like that. And then uh, we've asked them to come up with... Obviously, to work with them for a paint range. And we started with the medium, which was the key to it so the very base of the paint the stuff you the stuff that you put the pigment in to make the paint that's where we started so we started with a black and a white medium uh, because black and white have different properties depending whether you're dark or light so they were going to form our bases and we went across and uh, Duncan sat there it was a very long involved pro- uh, process because we were during COVID so it was it was like you can't all sit in a room it's got to be done by a you know you remember those old games where you used to have to play chess by post mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, always about that Red Dwarf episode <laughs> with the uh, with the moves yeah. um, <laughs> it was very much like that it was just like, well I like B but can you put a little bit more of D in there and I like this bit from A and, and you know we just sat and Duncan decided what he wanted for a paint before we even started looking at colours or density or stuff like that. And from that, everything that we needed came out of it. So we had wow. a we had the base before and, and then once you got the base, you can do whatever you want with it, which mm. hopefully make paint, not eat it. I wouldn't recommend that because it tastes right. a bit funny. Okay. Um <laughs> so yeah. Don't we eat paint book kids. Um so yeah from from there we could then create a paint range. So wow. So Duncan was involved in the creation of the, 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 the not the chemistry side of it, but what how the paint acted and how it worked. Yes, yeah, it's done entirely right. to his specifications. Wow. Um, it, it's got everything that he wanted in a paint, and and myself to a, to a certain degree. You know, we we had to say, it's like, oh yes, yeah, you're right, Duncan. The paint should act like this, or no, it shouldn't. We were able to sort of sit there and create, almost have a blank canvas to say, what do you want for a paint? You know, I want right. it to flow from the brush. I want it to cover in vanilla toothing coats. I get a prize every time I say that. Do you? And then every time you use it, you want it to apply correctly. You want to be able to fit it to an inch of its life. 
Mm. Uh, so you can really get it nice and thin. Uh, so all these properties that we wanted from a paint and we wanted as painters, especially as miniature painters, we just made a paint that we wanted to use, basically. And yeah. we liked mm. using. That is fascinating because I'm, I'm sure that people have felt that way. They wanted to make their own own paints and things like that. Mm. And they, couldn't somebody just off the shelf just just buy some medium and then add pigment to it and just make their own paint in their own way? I guess they can mix their own. You can do, but it's the expertise that we had behind right. us that yeah. were able to say, right, I need the paint to do more this. And then rather gotcha. than spending sort of six months of development, you've got a you've got a team behind you who go, ah, I know exactly the right chemical compound to use to. Uh, so I was going to ask, um, it seems like a bit of a silly question, I guess, but what makes this particular paint unique to what's already there on the market? We like to think the paint works the way you expect it to work, which sounds really weird describing about it. And, and it's quite a fluffy kind of response to it. But when you use it, and, and this is something that Duncan and I were very much like a case of everyone's asking us what the paint's like. And it's like, well, when you use it, you'll find out how. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is the smoothness of application and the levelness. Also, just the way the paint behaves, either on the palette or on the model. I know it sounds a bit hyperbole. It just goes where you want it to. Mm. And again, this 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 comes a lot from Duncan's ethoses and, and very much our ethoses as well, is that we didn't want people to be disappointed the first time you pick up a bottle, pick up a brush. You know, we've all been there, you know, go back to the Humbrel days and the, um, yeah. the the oil paints and the bits like that. It's like, I want to paint a figure. I want it to do this. Yeah. And it doesn't. And, you, you know, you see it when, when you get new starters and people have never done it. You've got that, that little seed of disappointment they've got in their head that it hasn't quite turned out the way they want it to. That's the key that we wanted to eliminate almost. We wanted to make it accessible for people. From my experience, the phrase I often use is you've got to learn how to use the paint. So you, mm -hmm. you, have you sort of eliminated that process? We've made it In easier. a way? In, in, yeah, okay. in, in a way, yeah. Yeah, we've made it easier. Accessibility is kind of like, I know it's a big buzzword, but it's it's really something that we wanted to concentrate so somebody could pick up and the paint is going to act the way that you kind of expect paint to work in your head. Yeah. Which sounds weird if you've never pe painted a figure before or ever looked at a paint or anything like that. You know, the bit where you sometimes apply a paint and it just runs off or it goes and finds a, an edge that it shouldn't do or, yeah. you know, you, you've done it six times and it's still patchy you know we yeah. wanted to try and eliminate all of that just really by putting the the, the correct amount well it was correct amount correct amount for us mm. the ingredients in that we needed to to make that happen things like drying times and thickness and viscosity and all that sort of thing would come into it was there anything else that would come into it as a um, consideration smoothness is something right, that we've yeah. really looked at. So the way that the, the way that you know when you get that right amount of flow improver in your paints, and you're like, yeah. oh yeah, this is really going on well. I've cracked yes. it here. Yes. We wanted that sort of level of out the pot. Right. So you can squeeze a bit on your palette, you can fin it, and away you go. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. And so it, you, you mentioned that you wanted it to, so that it would act as you would imagine it to. So are you wanting people who'd never painted before to use these paints? And that's the view of all of us modelers, isn't it? We want to have as many people enjoying our wonderful hobby yeah. as we want to. Um, so yes, definitely. It's something that we want people to kind of come along and use a paint and, and enjoy it and have fun. Mm. And I think that's uh, again we've had lots of ideas running into this paint but we wanted people to enjoy using the paint as as kind of like a and take away that barrier that horribleness of like oh what do i do with this how does this work you know how uh, what am i doing here it's like what uh, i've got a brush i've got a model so so, so you're basically you're basically making sure that that initial interaction and experience that first time experience is a pleasant experience yeah. rather than a i've got stuff to learn here experience Duncan will say this as well myself, and there's probably probably many many people who've worked in the industry. Is that first time you see that that I want to say kid because it's normally a child, unfortunately, walk away despondent from you showing them how to paint or you introducing them to the hobby or them building the first kit or or something like that. You know that area of disappointment that you have that that you've you've built it, you've finished, it, and it doesn't look like the picture. Mm. Yes, so, yeah. yeah. I think we've all we've all had that, haven't we? To, to some extent, I think that's where the the seed is sown, isn't it? Though you know, yeah. With the, with the parents saying, right, let's sit down and do these fun little things. Mm. And uh, the kids, because hours just disappear in your painting. So it's nice that you've got a paint. You, you want to fit into that little little genre, you know. I guess at the same time, is it an expert paint as well then? Is it is it a paint that people who had used like Vallejo and Army Painter and things like that already would be able to get hold of and use? 
I've been a professional painter for the past four or five years. I've painted lots and lots of armies and, you know, a few display pieces and stuff like that. So I was definitely able to look at it from the more advanced points of view. You know, the paint had a very specific purpose. It, it had to be used the way Duncan wants to use it. I know, you know, his name's on the packet. Mm. He's yeah. It's his paint. It needs to be used, whatever. But I was always there making sure, you know, does it airbrush? Can you wet blend with it? Can you do two brush blending? Can you glaze with it? And yes, you can. Look, that was what I was going to ask us about airbrushing it, yeah. Yeah, mm. oh yeah, it airbrushes like a dream. It really does. Right. Yeah. Wow. Need to thin it a bit, but it gets there, yeah. Okay, well, uh, it's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And do, when, when you were developing, do you also have to think about thinners? Water. Uh, we were very keen oh. on you being able to thin with water. So right. we did all of our bases. Yes, you can use thinners on it. I mean, all the thinners that I use, I use Vallejo airbrush thinner. That's my go-to kind of thing, yeah. airbrush yeah. And, and the flowing brim. I just really like it. That works really well. Uh, but water works as well because, again, it's barriers to entry, isn't it? It's like, I want this paint yeah. a little bit thinner. Oh, no, I have to go out and buy, you know. Actually, just, just on Tuesday, I was uh, talking to one of my painter friends, and he was telling me how great the Tamiya thinner. Uh, X28, he was using X28, and it was like, it's like, what do you mean? Why, why have you got that look on those faces? It's like, oh, does it work? It's like, yeah, of course it works. It's awesome. And it's like, oh, right, okay. So, yeah, it's just uh, having that brand compatibility, I think, is, you know, it's pretty essential in this day because we all, you know, I tell paint for a living, you know, we all use different paint to get different results. Mm. Uh, we all, we've all got our favorite colors from our favorite ranges. Um, mm. So yeah, it was very important that we could mix it together. You know, I, I we tried it with everything. I mean, I've sat there with the Vallejo stuff, Darkstar Metallics work with it, uh, AK Interactive, you know, the lot. It's, yeah. it's interesting as well. So some interesting colors you can get from mixing together as well. Yeah. Any exciting mm. pigments? I mean, oh God, what do I sound like? <laughs> exciting pigments. <laughs> I should call that. We should call the podcast "Exciting Pigments" <laughs> with Peter. Um, yes, pigments are very exciting, uh, and how they interact. It's even after two years of making paint, I still don't fully understand it because you 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 go to these guys, the, the chemist guys, are doing. So I want a blue, and I want it to be more bluer, and they'll go and add like green in it or red or something like that or some other little secret stuff and come back and go there you go and you're like how did you know what i meant by more bluer because <laughs> that's exactly what i want um right. so yeah we've got lots of exciting pigments coming up okay yeah that doesn't quite answer your question but i know yeah okay you have exciting <laughs> are they all um are there any natural ingredients because i know the old days i said the old days i was talking about cavemen uh, oh, <laughs> the, the old days, days. the old days not old um, pigments would come from natural, uh, natural places, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So, does that still happen? Uh, yes, to some degree, and right. no, you know, they're still you still put titanium in white. Um, wow, I'm, okay. trying to, I'm trying to remember the name of. There's a shell that we use for a blue. Um, we still use that in the pigment industry. Uh, a lot of it's synthetic, but there's still those natural ones that you just have to use. So, okay. um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, hmm. it's uh, again, it's really weird. The the model in acrylic paint, you you just don't use one type of pigment. It's lots of different pigments mixed together with different amounts. And mm -hmm. with the uh, uh, with the Kickstarter, then. So, do you want to tell us a bit about what it is, the Kickstarter, or what you get in in the different tiers? Um, well, we've actually finished the Kickstarters. Ah, of course <laughs> you have. We've done two. Yes. So, isn't, uh, there a, uh, isn't there a set? Isn't there a number two? Isn't that out? Now? Uh, no, number two's finished. We've actually, um, well, I was going to say, as of the time of recording in mid-April, <laughs> uh, the Wave One is on its way to the customers now. So, wow. yeah, gotcha. we've actually dispatched that. That, and then Wave Two is uh, bang on schedule for August. Right, we're, I see. We're on. We're on full fulfillment mode now. And yeah. what does Wave Two have in it that Wave One doesn't? That's got more colours. When you're asked to put 60, you're asked, all right, you've got to do 60 colours. Someone puts a gun to your head. There's a dunk who's like, ah! You know, you've got to release 60 colours. There's loads of colours that are missing. So a lot of it is tertiaries. There's some different shades of primaries. So, you know, there's a new red, new green, uh, new blue. Uh, and what I'm more excited about is the military colours, which we love. Um Ooh. Hence me painting lots of little tanks. Because <laughs> it's like, yes, I can finally do my Germans. Um mm. We've got things like the German greys. We've got uh, Russian greens. We've got uh, U.S. Army drabs. We've got not quite got a British Army green, but we've got that to go along with all the nice khakis and 
and uh, creams that we've got in the first range. So right, they're quite exciting. Uh, we got more metallics because everyone loves a metallic paint. Hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, a bit more interesting than gold and silver. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got uh, glazes, which are quite a big thing in the miniature painting world. Uh, yeah. They just they just make your yes. intensified color. Yes. It's like a filter. Like filter, mm-hmm. filter. Pop there you go. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you're using it for an airbrush, over example, you can make your candy red, and you know your your cool effects like that. A bit like Tamiya smoke, but not quite as dark, more bright. So they're primary and secondaries. I uh, love Tamiya smoke. It's my yeah, favorite. My favorite smoke. paint. Love it. Yeah. We, we were talking about that yesterday. Uh, not yesterday on Tuesday with a painter friend of mine. He's like, I wish you could get Tamiya smoke, and I wish you could get the stuff that makes Tamiya smoke Tamiya smoke, and just put it in a different color. <laughs> I'm like, that's right. genius. I'm not sure what I'd use it for, but it's also genius. So Tamir, if you're listening, and then we've got the brights, um, our, our red. It's called Hellspawn Red uh, because we're a fantasy paint range, and everything's got to have a funky name. Of course, I quite like Hellspawn Red. Uh, how that goes is we're trying to make a red, and we needed a red to highlight a red. So normally, traditionally, when you use a highlight for red, you either go orange or pink. And we were trying out all these different places for for red, and um, you know, t- t- don't like it. That's too pink. That's more orange. And Duncan's like, oh, I just want this, but I want it more redder. 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 And we also mm-hmm. looked him in, and we all looked him in. The the, um, the chemistry we worked with goes ah. He brought back the most reddest of the red. This was, it, it does have a a not safe for work name in the factory, and that's well. In red, and, and when you open it, it's like you know, like a freshly painted uh, post box. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just like that, and it's like wow. You put it next to any other red, and you think, wow, this is the reddest red I've got in my range. And then you put this next to it, and it goes, oh no, that's brown. <laughs> <laughs> it's brown compared yeah. to any other red. Wow. Compared to any red, yeah. So okay. going about exciting pigments, that's one of yeah. our most exciting pigments, definitely. Wow. What do they call it in the factory? Well, f***ing red. Yeah. I can imagine it. I can imagine it now. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I was just trying to think of how it works with the brightness of a... Because if you take a photograph of that red, your camera's only got a certain amount of colours that can show mm-hmm. and a certain amount of brightness. So you, is it the, just the contrast of the paint you're it, showing with other it, paints? It's normally the contrast of that paint next to something that does that. Okay. Definitely. Mm. Um, but one thing I found is you can't convey paint colors realistically in any sort of print video. Videos get close, but yeah. Duncan being famous for the two thin coats. Catchphrase, if you like, the hashtag, you know. Do you have to use two thin coats with this paint? We would always recommend using two thin coats because I guess you the best finish with the company mm. line. But uh, our yellows and reds pretty much go on. One, one coat. Wow. Uh, same with the metallics as well. The metallics are particularly good coverage. Yeah. So you mentioned the. Sorry, James. I'm talking a lot. No, you carry on. It's fine. You, you, you first. You'll only you cut me control. out anyway in the editing. So. That's true. <laughs> so, yes. the way I, the, this is how I imagine it: that you've got a shredder and you've got some aluminium foil, and you shred up the aluminium foil into tiny, tiny bits until it's very, very small, and then you add it to some clear paint. That's what I'm thinking. Shiny, um, you know, um, metallic paint is made. Is that right? Uh, not our metallic paint. No, it's made slightly differently. Oh, so some metallic paint is some made. metallic paint is is made similarly to that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. How 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 do you make your paint then? If it, if you don't have metal, our metallic paint. Well, rather than shred, we grind. <laughs> So mix not stirred. I see. Mix not stirred. <laughs> right. Fell into that one. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's so it's so imagine it was an amount aluminium. You have like an aluminium powder made from actual aluminium. As I mentioned, you said titanium is in titanium white. And so how do you do it with gold? Because I guess you don't have gold in there. Bronze, um, coloured colours, you tint it. I see. Okay, gotcha. So there's a colour paint with metallic elements in it, and that changes the colour of the metallics. Right. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. There you go. Didn't know that. There you go. So I want to ask, um, with the projects you're doing, obviously, 
What has been some of the biggest challenges that you faced in bringing it to the market uh, with this project, and uh, how did you overcome those? Okay, so um, the challenges are probably going to be the same challenges that everybody will tell you, uh, that horrible thing where the world changed. <laughs> COVID definitely caused a lot of problems. Um, there's no problems, challenges. We'll call them challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, supply chain, global supply chain, and the knock-on to that. Uh, cost of living, believe it or not. So it's just like pr- pretty much all the challenges that we've all had personally and yeah. professionally for the past 18 months mm-hmm. we encountered. Um just just on us just on a scale basically because we were trying to do things that were bigger so when you're trying to order 400,000 boxes and there's a global cardboard shortage and it uh-huh. trembled in price then oh. yeah but we overcame it we were 6 months late which um obviously had its uh, cometers should we say and criticisms for it uh, mm-hmm. but yeah we delivered we delivered every copy to every backer and uh, mm-hmm. even got it in shops yeah, oh, that's good. Which um, which shops sell it? Got forty shops in the UK, so I can't possibly list them all. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a very boring podcast if I sat and did forty shops. Done worse, don't worry. <laughs> so, um, although a good time for it. So we're all we're in the major shops for wargaming, should we say? Um, okay. We're even in a few modeler shops as well. A few modelers have got us, um, Ooh. which is quite interesting. Then we're in um, most of the European comp- countries at the moment. Mm-hmm. So Spain, Germany. Uh, we've got major distributors there. We distribute. Uh, we've just sent some to our China distributor this week, which is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got um, Etherworks in Australia. They're our distributor there. And Asmodee US are our big distributor in the US, obviously, mm-hmm. in Canada. Ah. So, uh, yes, available indeed. in good hobby stores. Is that yes. what yeah. Obviously, you've, you've just finished your second part of your Kickstart. So what's coming next? I'd love to be really sort of original and come up with an idea, but you know we've done wave one, we've done a wave two, so uh, yeah, it's wave three. Wave! <laughs> Yay! Yay! <laughs> and when are we expecting that to become public knowledge? <laughs> when, we, <laughs> when we finished it. <laughs> oh, okay then. <laughs> yeah, we've um, we've had quite a busy couple of months. I'm I'm yeah. not going to lie. This time of year, it's um, April springtime is all the uh, industry conventions and stuff like that so we've kind of rolled straight into events 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 and we're a pretty small company um i've got six people working for us in the factory and then the management teams of is four so we're not mega mega huge uh, mm. so it's diff- it, it's kind of difficult when people are like, oh, what have you got for the plans it's like oh, i don't i'm just planning to get to the end of my inbox for today <laughs> you know? yeah 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 so um so yeah, we we are planning more products definitely for okay. Paintwise. So uh, cool. Yeah. So um, there will be a phase three coming out uh, once you've once you've got it done. W- will it be just more paints? Will it will will there be other bits and pieces in there as well that are painterly? We're definitely looking at expanding outside of opaque acrylic paints. Gotcha. Um, we've been looking at a lot of weathering, which is. Um, and, yeah, we like to make our models a bit dirty. We like mm-hmm. that. We've got some rust effects. We've got some verdigris effects, blood effects, because, you know, us war gamers are a bit vicious and we like to splatch blood everywhere. So we're going to be looking at those sort of ranges of paints. Uh, and there's always more colours mm. to go for. I'm sure there's uh, yeah. some Roman regiments that we haven't covered yet. And well, that's the thing, like isn't it? Some of the Napoleonic painters yeah. and, and war gamers, obviously, doing the historicals and things, they need some bright colours. Yeah, you know, so mm. yeah, you know, it's not just olive drabs and things like that. No, again, it's being limited to you know sixty paints, one hundred and twenty paints at the time. You sort of sit there and think, oh, there's no colours left, and then twenty minutes later, you're like, ah, there's too many colours. Well, that's it. You see, there's lots of other like scale mm. modellers, for instance. You know, that I was going to talk to you about the the, the olive greens and yeah. and the, the the greens and special military greens that you've got. You know. There'll be arguments for years and years and years about what is the correct olive green, mm. olive drab, uh, bronze, olive, purple, violet, green, and all that kind of thing. How did you get to your? How did you get to decide which was the right green? There is no perfect olive drab. Probably a little bit more creative with the choice of what looks good. Yeah. To be absolutely honest, and it's like yes, that is representative enough, and that is you know good enough for us lowly war gamers who yeah. perhaps might not want to paint it the right colour, but we want something that's olivey greeny in our collection. Yes. yes. Do you think then it's a kind of like an average of all the olives that you've seen, perhaps? Yes, yes. I'd right. definitely say that and that's one that 
worked, if that makes sense, and looked pretty yes. and mm. uh, made sense in the range and looked yeah. right when you applied it. So I know that um, uh, scale modelers are very interested in getting the right color gray, the mm. right color green, you know, having the right FS number and everything like that. So do you think there's any scope for that in your range? Would probably for this range and for where we're marketed at, and especially the people that know Duncan tend to be war gamers. Uh, I'd have to say that it would be probably we're just looking at approximation rather than having the correct colour for every regiment that you need to use for your Napoleonics, for example. And we're not quite at that depth yet. Yeah, There's nothing not... to stop you mixing your own colours anyway, is there? So it's no. not like you have to use it from the bottle. No, not at all, not at all. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a regular acrylic paint. You can mix it however you like yeah, uh, yeah. to get whichever colour you want. Um, we're just trying to, again, going back to accessibility, You've never painted before, you know. You don't know exactly which olive drab you want. There might be twenty sat there on a shelf. It's like, nope, I want it green. There you go. It's olive. It's green. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah I'm thinking yeah. about my collection of colours. It's like, no, that's 1944. <laughs> yeah, just late war. That's late green. war, and, and we're not. <laughs> that's not the right Russian green. Yes, I know. Well, time of day as well that a photograph was taken yeah. to make a yeah. difference. So, yeah. One thing I'm amazed when you go to the tank museum and they're all pristine and they've never been used, and you're like, they don't look anything like the picture. <laughs> This does not look like it's been running around the desert for a week. <laughs> Unless you go to uh, Tank Fest and watch the going around. Once they come back in, they are yeah. covered in mud. Um, yeah. Have you been to the conservation centre across the away from the entrance when you go to the Tank Museum? Uh, I've not been there, there for a very long time. I'm going to have to admit, sort of, definitely, it was something I did. It's going to be last century now. Oh it's wow! Like, okay. Yeah, right. long, long time ago. It's one of those things that stick in your mind. Unfortunately, yeah. being from deepest, darkest Wales, you. Uh, you don't get down to that part of the country very often. So oh, it's just a hop across. As long as they let you back out of, of Wales and let you back yeah. in, you'll be fine. Occasionally. I'll take my passport. Um, but the, the Tank Museum has completely changed. They've, they've changed loads of stuff recently. Mm. And it's absolutely brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Can't rate that museum enough. But yeah. opposite their main entrance is a conservation centre, that they call it. But it's basically a hangar for armour nerds. It smells like oil. It is uh, dusty, and all of the tanks that they're working on and conserving are all there and all jammed in as tight as you can. So you can walk amongst them, and you're just squeezed down past them. And it's a it's a brilliant place. It's amazing to watch people walk in there for the very first time and just sniff the air. Like, if you ever get down there, Peter, go and, go and have a visit. I, I'm I'm thinking about it. I do suggest road trip very occasionally, and everybody's like, "What to Warhammer World?" He's like, "Oh." Okay. <laughs> you just say yes and then turn right instead of left. <laughs> yeah. go, go very early in the morning and say, sleep in the car, I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, if you want to go see where the, the rhino got the inspiration, you know, yeah. you might want to go down there uh, 432. That's very true. You were saying at the beginning of the podcast that your uh, father did figures, mm -hmm. you did armor, and uh, your brother did cars. Is that right? Yes. Was that a natural decision between the three of you that you wouldn't impinge on each other's area, or was that uh, the reason? I'll, I'll explain the reason I'm asking because when I first started in the hobby, uh, my brother was a, a model maker, and I want I wanted to do models because my brother did it. And my brother was very annoyed at the fact that a I wanted to do the hobby, and b I might want to copy what he was doing. Mm -hmm. So I went off into into a tangent on dioramas. That was my mm -hmm. thing. So I just wondered in, in that family of three modelers, how would have that that work? Um, my brother liked cars. I liked tanks. <laughs> my dad liked military figures. It, was, um, it wasn't a forced thing. It was just a case of, you know, I thought tanks were cool. And you didn't have yeah. that crossover between the three of you? It was, it was quite strict, but it's because we enjoyed it, not because, you know, we didn't. I mean, I've, I've, I put together a few cars and stuff like that. I just didn't find them catching my imagination as much as, you know, German armor did or, you know, an AA and 88 gun I, again i remember that kit with all the figures and the diorama and and setting mm. that up and building that was just a lot more entertaining a lot more interesting to me than my brother's williams f1 car that he was doing with nigel mansell on sort of thing it was like mm. i don't know perhaps perhaps there was just too many decals on a race car <laughs> maybe yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, and they will be lined up, and you can't cover in a, in a tarp. Yeah, you can't. Oh, now there's the link. Um, now we do have a challenge for you, actually, Peter. That we haven't discussed this before, but it's just pretty normal for uh, the podcast. We do have a challenge build on it at the moment for the podcast. You may or may not be aware that last year we decided to do a walnut build, uh, where we basically asked people to use a walnut to build something inside. But this year, what we're going to do is we're doing what's called the Great Tarp Build. So do you think we can challenge yourself and, and Duncan to a, a tarp entry? Uh, how do you mean a tarp entry? <laughs> <laughs> if you recall back the way you came to the studio, you were bundled in the back of the van. Oh, right. okay, yeah. What we threw over the top of you, although you couldn't see it, was a tarp. Because obviously it's all, all within what we do. Anyway, got off on a tangent. The, the idea being is the fact that we, as modellers, from time to time use a an item to hide our mistakes or i felt that maybe we were abusing the tarp in our, in our models oh, un, un, it's unloved celebrated isn't it yeah. it's on yeah. lots of tanks lots of scale models use tarps so the, the idea being is that is that we challenge you to make a tarp from any any material in which you so wish to do mm-hmm. uh, and paint it in any which way you want to and it can be a big tarp for example on the Facebook group page, uh, the Great Tarp Build. We have a, a tarp that's over a Millennium Falcon. Actually, in all honesty, there's no Millennium Falcon underneath it once we've made it. So yeah, so it's down to your imagination, really. We <laughs> uh, breaking news in, in a way that uh, we have got an IPMS group who are going to make their display at Telford about tarps. It hasn't been formalised yet. We've been approached. We've been approached. Okay. We've been yeah. approached. So that's the challenge. Considered challenge accepted. Well, I, go. I can imagine a couple of your Flames of War Shermans or Abrams or whatever you have with a couple of tarps thrown over the top, you know, a bit of extra camouflage or protection or something. And how you make that tarp, what, how you weather it, yep. how, what materials you use to, to do it is all entirely up to you. How much of the, of the armor or whatever is underneath the tarp you cover it with is up to you. How weathered it is is up to you. Whether it's got a hole in it was up to you. <laughs> Whether there's even a vehicle underneath. Yes. Yes. Just to reiterate then, the, the tarp build is just a, a bit of fun. It's a group build mm. just to get people chatting and, and just remind everyone that it's a fun hobby. Yes. You know, and oh, I love it's it. It's great. Yeah. It's a giggle. You, know? um, you can't do anything wrong. <laughs> really, it's limitless in, in the, the ability for you to use your imagination. <laughs> and, and given the fact of, obviously, it would be a, a, a two-coat tarp. I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah, well, uh, you, you did nearly have their fears go, what happens if I put a tarp on top of a tarp? But instead okay, of being that. like the full, you know, those quality tarps that you get, those those quite thin ones, mm-hmm. you know, you could have mm. two thin tarps. Two thin tarps. <laughs> two thin tarps. I like that idea. <laughs> hashtag, hashtag, quick, hashtag it. Hashtag it. Quick. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Two thin yeah. tarps. I got wrong and right again. I like that so much. <laughs> Was was there any any sensible questions from the other side of the studio? With the with the paint, so the paints are out in the public now. Yes, people have their phase ones and they're using them. Yeah. Any interesting feedback that you've got that perhaps you didn't expect from customers? Fun story: developing a paint range in COVID is hard, especially developing a paint range in COVID that you can't tell anybody about. So oh, one of the most yeah. interesting things was um, Duncan and I using this paint and, and Roger and I going, is this paint good? And, right. and Duncan said, well, I think it's good. Do you think it's good? It's like, yeah, I do. But do we think it's good because we've made it or is it actually right. good? It's been very humbling just to hear people saying, oh, this paint's good. I like it. It's great. And that has been the best part of it. It's, right. It, it's, mm. it's just hearing just that kind of the acknowledgement that, you know, we did a job and we did yeah. it quite well. I, I know we shouldn't put our self-worth on our actions and stuff like this, but it does help when somebody pats you on the back and says, yeah, you know, you, you, you lot did good. One of the biggest things we did, there's, um, there's a YouTuber called Mediocre Hobbies. Mm-hmm. And he's, a, he's a Warhammer YouTuber in Ireland. And the title of his is This Paint Made Me a Better Painter. Wow. And it's not the first time it's had because a few people are reviewing it came back and they've emailed me, emailed me saying, look, the, the paint that, that Duncan's released here, it's, I've used it. I actually feel like I'm a better painter. And that, to me, is probably the one thing that sticks in my mind is that circling back to the accessibility. You know, I had one guy who was reviewing it saying this paint actually brought back memories from when he was doing Hero Quest back in the 90s and, and doing that. And that kind of evoked that, not so much that nostalgia, but, you know, that, that, that smell of Tamiya paint sort of feeling that you get. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I think that's been the biggest sort of humbling for, for Duncan and I is just to hear that yeah. come across. That's brilliant. That's wonderful. Just yeah. yeah, just hearing that from your peers um, in the yeah. hobby, you've mm. you've made something that they want to use, um, yeah. and that has improved their hobby. And to say something like that that they, makes them feel like a bigger painter is like. Yeah. I don't know since the invention of the wet palette or something, you know that's yeah. that's the last time I can think my hobby changed in terms of mm. painting. So yeah, well. but nobody that said to you, "I've thrown all my other paint away and I'm only having yours." Uh, a few, a few people have, but I don't tell anybody about that because no, no, yeah. it's good to hear because you know that I've heard that comment a few times with with mm. different items, not just paint, but different yeah. items. You know, I've got these nippers. I've I'm, I've thrown all my other nippers away because this is the the most mm. amazing nipper ever in the world. And, and and the fact that something so fundamental but so simple can make such a change to someone's experience and journey, it, you know, it has to be celebratable. And well done, you guys. You know, it, to have those sort of comments is fantastic. Yeah, it really is. Thank you. How do you come up? How do you come up with the, the names of your paints? I let Duncan do that. Yes, <laughs> they can call it whatever they want with, yeah. with the names and have and put their stamp on it. Well, we'll we'll, we'll save that one for Duncan. Then yeah, I'll save that one for Duncan because every name has got a significance or an in joke or something like that. It's quite funny. Oh wow, ah, yeah. that's interesting. Right? Yeah. Okay. Remember yeah. that, James. Write that down. Oh, I'm writing it down. Yeah. So, what are you working on at Moon P? What's what's in your hobby bench? Oh, my hobby bench. I wish I was sat there. Could I would reel it off? I have all sorts on there. Uh, I've got skeletons from Cursed City for my Soul uh-huh. Light Army. Yeah. Uh, I've got some Urux knocking around from Warhammer. Oh, right. uh, yep. I've got some Skyrim miniatures on there, Ooh. Uh, which are quite interesting. Some oh. um, some Stormcloaks, that's what they're called. I should right. really learn the names before I start painting them. Uh, far too much US armor. because right, so That's the Flames of War, is it? Flames of War, yeah. That's mm. my current kind of um, mistake, should we say. Uh, which is Duncan's fault if he's listening to this. He's looking to get into Flames of War. Uh, I was looking to offload a load of my old Flames of War because oh, I'm not playing it anymore. There's nobody to play it with. Third edition, etc. Et so it's like, oh, Duncan, I heard you want to start Flames of War. He's like, yeah, yeah, you want some bad guys. All right, okay. So here you go. I'm going to sell you, um, kind of sell my Germans to him. And um, we just happened to meet up in this uh, car park. As, um, you as you do. We're meeting in the pub. And in the pub car park, he suddenly runs out and he goes, have you got the stuff? Have you got the stuff? I'm like, what was it? He got really nervous. He's like, thrust, thrust his money in my hand. Have you got it? So yeah, we did an exchange of 15 millimeter miniatures into his boot in, in this in this car park outside the pub. And it was like looking around, I go, I hope there's no CCTV. Oh, uh, there is. We've got an image of that. You'll be glad to know, Peter. Uh, we were aware. Um, so anyway, so I'd got rid of all my Flames of War, as you do, and then the itch starts, doesn't it? And I start mm-hmm. looking at their new stuff. I start looking at their plastics. Um, and uh, now I own far too much Flames of War. <laughs> Listeners will be scale modelers, but mm. uh, and possibly won't know much about wargaming. We talk about a lot on this on this show, particularly, is the crossovers between all of the hobbies. So that would be mm. railway enthusiasts, war yeah. gamers, scale modelers, road control makers. We all use the same sort of similar type yeah. of paints, weathering, and we all like tiny things. Yes. Yeah. I have been a part of um, all four of those communities at one point in my life. Um, it just so happened I work in the war game industry, but you know, yeah. I'm love to get back into scale modeling. Uh, remote control, I don't think I can go through the, the pain of breaking something again as yes. it smashes into the wall. That was a bit... Uh, yeah, yeah and, my, and my son does trains. So, yeah. There you go. He has a bedroom full of double O gauge. So, a question for you then. Could tooth in coats, would that be useful for railway enthusiasts, for instance? Or is it particularly focused on war games? The names and some of the colours are particularly war game focused, but we have blacks, we have reds, we have you know primaries, secondaries, greys, browns. Uh, so the answer is yes, you can use it yeah. as long as you want to paint that particular thing, that particular shade. Yeah, I mean uh, that's the same thing about all the paints. Is there, there's a lot of paints that work in military that will work in war gamings, but not so much you know, for some of the yeah. colours. So. so I just wondered if it was a consideration to think of the other hobbies that might use paint to accommodate for their kind of cultures as well that's what i was thinking it's certainly surprising coming from you know a wargaming industry background and then seeing how many of the people walk, you know walk up to you and talk to you and they are as you said they're on the rc world or they're a scale yeah. modeler or they're um whatever i mean my studio painter sam he's a scale modeler first that's actually his hobby and he's also a figure painter so yeah. 
and that's his job sort of thing. So yeah, it's the, the crossovers. You know, I thought I was like unique, and no, I'm not. You know, everyone crosses over. Uh, yes. As far as the line, perhaps. I mean, it might be a bit difficult because obviously Duncan's known for wargaming specifically, so it might be yeah. a bit of a hard sell into a model shop who's never heard of the poor guy. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we can change well, that. Know. Yeah, we can change that. I mean, the, my, my model shop's got Army Painter in and, and yeah. Tamir, along with the Tamir and the Vallejo stuff. So so uh, for listeners, if they haven't heard of Duncan Rhodes, go and look up Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy as well. Mm-hmm. Go and look up uh, Transatlantis Games and go and look out Tooth in Coats, the paint range, because got some things things gone on their way and uh, it will be good to um lots of other things to pluck your chicken with <laughs> before the hatch <laughs> yes mm-hmm. thank you very much for your time peter and uh yeah we'll put all the links and everything else that you can get in contact um mm-hmm. uh, with the company more on facebook and on the show notes is there any questions that you wish we had asked that we haven't asked perhaps asking maybe if you could loosen the um, cable ties a bit that are around my feet because my toes hurt. Uh, I should have asked that about an hour ago. I'll be honest. I think that that, that color blue you were talking about. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's. I'm not sure they'll be able to make that blue. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> we'll. Um. We'll, well, no. As you as you tumble out of the van, uh, once we release you, um, I'll be honest. The tires will come off anyway. Okay. All right. That's Sorry. good to know. That's good. To know. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So we finally released Peter, pretty much back to where we found him. He'll be back later in the year to talk more about Two Thin Coats paints. When you take a wild animal from the wild, you're supposed to release it back to near where you picked it up from. Absolutely, so they, they know exactly where they're going. Yeah, they go, oh, I remember this place. Mm-hmm. Next, I will just be making conversation about other subjects relating to this daft hobby of ours. <laughs> You've been listening to Just Making Conversation with James Skiffins and Malcolm Childs. Follow us on the Facebook, where we post photos, updates and other nonsense. Find us on Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Poodle Godpasts. <laughs> Find us on Spotify, Music, Amazon, Amazon Music. Oh, for fuck. How hard is it? It's hard. Find us on Spotify Music. I've done it again. Right. Stop. Deep breath. Find us on Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and all the others. Let us know what you are just making and what your thoughts are on the conversation in this episode. Thank you to the supporters from buymeacoffee.com forward slash JMC podcast. Go on. Elliot Capretti, Adam Kieran, Drusta Lagune, Craig Nichols, Elliot, Robert Lane, Dean, Mike Shelley, Ivana Miller, Build a Model Kit, Callum from Michael Machines Podcast, Paint All the Minis, Peter, Brad Warren, Tim, Black Rifle, John, Julian Chuck, Mark Bakawahi, Simon the Jesuit, Steve Lee, Costas, Mark Ray, Neil Twice, Mike, Robert, Andrew, Drew, John, Mike, Jeff, Richard, Lynn, Gordon, and eight others. If you do show your support, leave your name so we can paint your name on the Roll of Honor on the tail of the next episode. Goodbye for now. Goodbye.